The meeting will come to order. This is the December 7, 2022 Budget and Finance Committee meeting. I'm Supervisor Hillary Ronan, Chair of the Committee. I'm joined by Committee Member Supervisor Chan and Supervisor Asha Safai is joining us via Teams at the moment. Our clerk is Brent Halipa, and I'd like to thank Matthew Ignau of SFGov TV for broadcasting this meeting. Mr. Clerk, do you have any announcements? Thank you, Madam Chair. Just a friendly reminder for those in attendance in the chamber to place, please, Make sure to silence all cell phones and electronic devices. Uh, the Board of Supervisors and its committees are now convening hybrid meetings that allow in-person attendance and public comment while still providing remote access and public comment via telephone. The Board recognizes that equitable public access is essential and will be taking public comment as follows. First public comment will be taken on each item on this agenda. Uh, those attending in person will be allowed to speak first and then we will take those who are waiting on the telephone line. For those watching, either channels 26, 28, 78, or 99 and sfgovtv.org, the public comment call-in number is streaming across the screen. That number is 415-655-0001. Again, that's 415-655-0001. And enter the meeting ID of 2488-477-5074. Then press pound twice. When connected, you will hear the meeting discussions, but you'll be muted and in listening mode only. When your item of interest comes up and public comment is called, those joining us in person should line up to speak, and those on the telephone should dial star three to also be added to the speaker line. If you're on your telephone, please remember to turn on your TV and all listening devices you may be using. Each speaker will be allowed up to two minutes to speak unless otherwise stated. Alternatively, you may submit public comment in writing in either of the following ways. Email them to myself, the Budget and Finance Committee clerk at brent.jalipa at sfgov.org. If you submit public comment via email, it will be forwarded to the supervisors and also included as part of the official file. You may also send your written comments via U.S. Postal Service to our office in City Hall. That's 1, Dr. Carlton B. Goodluck Place, Room 244, San Francisco, California, 94102. And finally, Madam Chair, items acted upon today are expected to appear on the Board of Supervisors agenda of December 13th, unless otherwise stated. Thank you so much. Mr. Clerk, can you please call item eight out of order? Uh, yes, Madam Chair, items number eight is an ordinance amending the Public Works Code to exempt the leather and lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer, cultural district from banner permits, uh, sorry, uh, from banner permit fees and inspection fees for the replacement of up to 200 banners on up to 200 city-owned poles within that cultural district and to codify the existing exemption of the Soma Pilipinas Filipino Cultural Heritage District from banner permit fees and inspection fees for the placement of up to 300 banners on up to 300 city-owned poles within that cultural district and affirming the planning department's determination under CEQA. Members of the public are joining us remotely and wish to comment. Please call 415-655-0001 with a meeting ID of 2488-477-5074, then press pound twice. Once connected to the meeting, you will need to press star three to enter the speaker line. A system prompt will indicate that you have raised your hand and when your system indicates you have been unmuted, that will be your signal to begin your comments. Madam Chair. Thank you so much. And we have Bob Goldfar, the president of the Leather and LGBTQ Cultural District here to present. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Thank you very much. And uh, anyway, this, uh, this is an ordinance to uh, waive the fees for uh, poll banners uh, in the district. And in uh, 2018, the Leather and LGBTQ Cultural District was officially recognized as a home of a unique culture and people 
that helped make San Francisco the incredible place that we all enjoy. It was the proactive efforts of our community that led to seeking the protection of the cultural district program to preserve and protect our culture, heritage, and cultural assets. The leather and LGBTQ community began locating in Soma in the mid-1960s uh, and after being displaced from other areas. Uh, at its peak, there were more than 40 leather and LGBTQ businesses uh, in Soma, and now we count just 12. Uh, in 1984, res residents successfully founded the Folsom Street Fair to protect the area from redevelopment plans. Uh, that fair has become a celebration of our culture that draws more than 100,000 people to the city every year. SOMA and its worldwide reputation as a place for tolerance and acceptance were born out of the collective spirit to build community and honor our history. This was only possible with the combined leadership of women, artists, artisan, business owners, and drag queens. The, uh, having the banners up all year round uh, is a consistent reminder of the unique culture that helps make our city a desirable place and voting in favor in the, of this legislation confirms the important role placemaking has in preserving the culture of marginalized communities, and it also reaffirms the city's commitment to our cultural districts and the worldwide beacon of tolerance and acceptance that they represent. Thank you. Thank you so much, and um, I would love to be added as a co-sponsor to this item, and I think it's about time that we just do general legislation that allows the exemption of banner fees uh, for all cultural districts. So, I agree. <laughs> thank you, uh, Supervisor Dorsey and Mr. Goldfarb for bringing these forward, because uh, um, I think we can just make that. We, we'll, we'll work on that, so thank you. <laughs> Good deal, thank you. And can we please open this item up for public comment? Yes, Madam Chair, members of the public who wish to speak on this item and are joining us in person should line up now to speak. For those listening remotely, please call 415-655-0001, enter the meeting ID of 2488-477-5074, then press pound twice. Once connected, press star three to enter the speaker line. And for those already in the queue, please continue to wait until the system indicates you have been unmuted and that will be your signal to begin your comments. Seeing no in-person speakers here in the chamber, and Madam Chair, there are no speakers in the queue. Public comment is now closed. I'd like to make a motion to send this item to the full board with positive recommendation. On that motion, to forward this resolution to the full board with a positive recommendation. Vice Chair Safai. Vice Chair Safai. I do see you muted. Member Chan. Oh. Okay. Member Chan, aye. Vice Chair Safai. Aye. Uh, Chair Ronan. Aye. Ronan, aye. We have three ayes. That um, motion passes unanimously. Thank you. Can you please now read item number one? Yes, item number one is an ordinance appropriating approximately $4.7 million from the issuance of Treasure Island Infrastructure and Revitalization Financing District Number 1, tax increment revenue bonds and appropriating to the Affordable Housing Project in the Mayor's Office of Housing and Community Development in fiscal year 2022 to 2023. Uh, members of the public are joining us remotely and wish to comment on this ordinance. Uh, please call 415-655-0001 with the meeting ID of 
5074 and then press pound twice. Uh, press star three to enter the speaker line and a prompt will indicate that you have raised your hand when that system indicates you have been unmuted. That is your signal to begin your comments. Madam Chair. Thank you. And we have Sheila Nicolopoulos here from Mayor's Office of Housing to present. Thank you. Uh, good afternoon, Chair Ronan, Supervisor Chan, and Supervisor Safai. I am Sheila Nicolopoulos, Director of Policy and Legislative Affairs for MOHCD. I am here along with TIDA representatives to present on the ordinance appropriating 4,711,123 from the issuance of Treasure Island Infrastructure and Revitalization Financing District, um, the IRFD, one tax increment revenue bonds and appropriating the affordable housing project to MOHCD for fiscal year 22-23. Typically, when MOHCD presents on a Treasure Island development, we like to have the TIDA director also provide an update on Treasure Island's progress. But because MOHCD and TIDA presented to this committee last week, we are not doing the Treasure Island progress update today. So Treasure Island parcel C31, which is now called the Starview Court, closed its construction financing in May 2022, and the project began construction in that month. Starview Court is the second affordable housing and residential development to begin construction on Treasure Island. TIDA and MOHCD presented the loan resolution to this committee in April 2022, and at that time the project was called the Treasure Island Parcel C31 because the project is located in the newly created parcel by that name. In June 2022, the project sponsor, Mercy Housing California, changed the project name to Starview Court. Um, it was previously occupied by the Star Barrack, and so the project name plays homage to the celestial aspects of the preceding site name while adding a modern addition. The view court was incorporated as the project site provides future residents with a view of the San Francisco Bay. Starview Court will represent a fusion of new and existing community that will thrive in their new homes along with the entire revitalized Treasure Island community. The number of units and affordability has not changed on Starview Court, even with the potential change of the city loan sources if this resolution is approved. Starview Court remains affordable to low and moderate income families. It has 138 units in a seven-story building, and when complete, it will have a mix of one, two, three, and four bedrooms. Of the 138 units, 71 are for replacement units for one Treasure Island residence who will live in units with a continuum of care operating subsidy contract with Catholic Charities. 23 units are households that currently live on Treasure Island, and 43 units are new affordable housing units. In April 2022, the board approved a related resolution authorizing the Controller's Office of Public Finance to issue one or more series of tax increment revenue bonds on behalf of the Treasure Island RIFD. At the time of the resolution author authorization approval, the Controller's Office was still confirming the appropriation process given that this was the city's first IRFD bond, which is why we are returning with a supplemental appropriation request. The Controller's Office has since sold the bonds pursuant to that board action and is now seeking to appropriate the funds to dedicate to the Treasure Island parcel. MOHCD and TIDA um, did not bring the IRFD funding request in April 2022 with the gap loan resolution because as the first development in the city on, and on Treasure Island to use the RFD funds, the process to have the funds available simultaneously with other city sources and with state funds would have delayed the project's financial closing, which had a strict deadline due to the con general contractor being unable to hold its costs past May of 2022. The IRFD funds will pay off an IRFD bridge loan currently on the project. This payoff allows MOHCD to use the bridge loan on another development. The incorporation of the IRFD funds to the city loan does not change the original loan amount of $33.45 million. 
If recommended for approval, no changes to the project will occur. The number of units and affordability will remain the same, and Starview Courts is currently under construction and will continue, and we anticipate that the temp certificate of occupancy will be received in May of 2024. MOHCD, along with Tida and One Treasure Island, are excited about the affordability housing opportunities on Treasure Island, and we would like to thank you for your consideration of this ordinance today. Thank you. Um, and now we'll hear from the Budget and Legislative Analyst. Thank you, uh, Nick Menard from the Budget Legislative Analyst Office. So this was uh, ordinance approves a $4.7 million appropriation from bond, bond proceeds from previously authorized bonds um, related to a Treasure Island um, IFRD. We showed the, the use of the proceeds on page three of our report. Uh, they will be going to pay for this affordable housing project that was just discussed by the Mayor's Office of Housing um, to repay a bridge loan from TIDA as well as repay MOHCD um, uh, using general obligation bonds to fund the original permanent financing loan. We recommend approval. Thank you. Any questions, colleagues? Seeing none, we'll open this item up for public comment. Thank you, Madam Chair. Members of the public who wish to speak on this item and are joining us in person should line up now along the curtains. However, those listening remotely, please call 415-655-0001 with the meeting ID of 2488-477-5074. Then press pound twice. Uh, you will need to press star three to enter the speaker line. And for those already in the queue, please continue to wait until the system indicates you have been unmuted and that'll be your signal to begin your comments. Seeing no in-person speakers here in the chamber, and Madam Chair, we have no speakers in the queue. Um, public comment is now closed. I'd like to make a motion to send, oh, sorry, Supervisor Safai. I just, I just want to say I appreciate all the hard work on this. I know that there's been a lot of time, effort, and energy put into really focusing on beginning with a lot of the affordable housing on Treasure Island, so appreciate all the staff's work. Um, certainly important housing. It looks like we're staying on schedule, so also appreciate that. Um, I just wanted to be added also as a, a co-sponsor, please. Thank you. Thank you. Um, and I, I, I agree and would also like to be added as a co-sponsor. And with that, do you want to do the honors? Yes, I'd like to make a motion to send this item to the full board with positive recommendation. On this motion by Vice Chair Safai that uh, this ordinance be forwarded to the full board with a positive recommendation. Vice Chair Safai. Aye. Safai, aye. Member Chan. Aye. Chan, aye. Chair Ronan. Aye. Ronan, aye. We have three ayes. That motion passes unanimously. Thank you. Mr. Clerk, can you please read item number two? Yes, item number two is a resolution retroactively authorizing the Director of Transportation to execute a new cost-sharing agreement for paratransit services between the city and county through the Municipal Transportation Agency and the Bay Area Rapid Transit District, under which BART will reimburse the MTA for providing BART's paratransit services within San Francisco for a one-year period from July 1st, 2022 through June 30th, 2023, with nine one-year automatic renewal options for a maximum term of 10 years. Members of the public are joining us remotely and wish to comment on this resolution. Please call 415-655-0001. Enter the meeting ID of 2488-477-5074. Then press pound twice. Once connected, press star three to enter the speaker line. A prompt will indicate that you have raised your hand and when the system indicates you have been unmuted, please begin your comments. Madam Chair. Thank you. And we have Annette Williams here from MTA to speak to this item. 
Thank you, um, Chair Roon and uh, committee members. My name is Annette Williams. I'm the Director of Accessible Services at SFMTA. Um, before you today is an agreement with BART to provide funding to the SFMTA to meet BART's Americans with Disabilities Act obligation to provide paratransit services in San Francisco. Um, under the ADA, BART is required to provide paratransit services within three quarters of a mile of their stations um, to people with disabilities who are unable to use BART. And BART pays approximately 8% of the MTA's annual paratransit costs because of this, this um, obligation that they have. We've had a cost-sharing agreement with BART in place since um, 1994, and this funding has been an important part of our paratransit um, budget in San Francisco. And we're asking for your approval to continue this cost-sharing agreement, um, and I can answer any questions that you might have or if you want further background. Thank you. Thank you, Supervisor Chan. Thank you, uh, Chair Ronan. I think the quick question is with that premise or like, you know, with that distance coverage, um, what would the neighborhoods uh, in San Francisco cover for that uh, paratransit agreement? So we cover the entire city of San Francisco, okay. uh, all, all 49 square miles, as well as northern San Mateo County uh, um, within the BART and Muni um, lines that go into San Mateo County. Um, so it's the entire city is covered. BART would have a much smaller um, footprint because they're only three quarters right. of a mile around the stations, but they're paying a portion of our budget and together we provide services for, for everyone in San Francisco who's paratransit eligible. So I guess that is my question, so, uh, that the BART portion, like what specific neighborhoods does it cover? Do we so know? So it's three quarters of a mile around each of the BART stations, but the service area is, you know, they're overlapping because Muni also right. serves all of the, those areas. So the, the service area for paratransit is the entire city. So every right. neighborhood in San Francisco is equally served with paratransit services. Anyone who lives within any part of San Francisco or comes into San Francisco and needs paratransit rides and is ADA eligible, they are um, afforded paratransit services. Great. Sorry, I, I just like lack of, um, you know, just not having the clear understanding of like three quarters of a mile, like say, yeah. for, for example, so for like daily city BART station, right? Like the... Right. What to and what extent does it actually cover into San Francisco? That's that's all. I'm just yeah. trying to get so some help. Yeah. So all of San Francisco <laughs> and then three quarters of a mile south of that BART station would also be covered south. in San Mateo County. Right. Okay. Okay. Thank you. I am no I'm problem. Just trying to understand like how I much of a west side would that actually cover? But and and it would you. be a real significant issue if there wasn't Muni in San Francisco and we they were only serving right. the areas around the BART stations, which may be the case in some other parts of the Bay Area. But since Muni covers the entire city and it's three quarters of a mile around all Muni routes, the entire city and anyone in San Francisco who's AD eligible is is um, afforded paratransit services. Thank you. I'm sure that's this conversation will be helpful one day I may not even be around if we ever have BART on the west side but thank you <laughs> no problem we'll get more funding from BART that would always be helpful <laughs> <laughs> many benefits to getting BART on the west side um, Supervisor Safai um, can you talk a little bit about the cost sharing and and the rate at which um, it is currently reimbursed at I mean I, I guess what, did you just ask that oh no I thought, I'm sorry, I was like, wait, did I just miss that? Okay, got it. Um, the original cost sharing, I know it expired in 2020. 
um, and BART continued to pay their share at a rate of 7.9% plus 4.7, is that right? Correct. Um, it's for the administrative costs, uh, but it hasn't really been evaluated and updated. Is, is, are these the right numbers, and do you think that the right cost sharing is in place in, in terms of what they provide and what we provide? Yes, we do, um, but we also, either agency can at any time ask for an additional um, study if, if we feel there's a need for it. We don't think that the demand has changed significantly. Um, well, the last one was conducted in 2010, is that correct? In 2012. Well. Correct. So you don't think that there's been an escalation in cost or? It's not, the cost, they, they're paying 8% of our costs. So definitely that goes up each year. If the costs mm -hmm. go up, they're paying. But it's in terms of the trips that are happening within those service areas and how they overlap between Muni and BART mm -hmm. in terms of the responsibility for those trips. So the costs have, have gone up and BART pays right. their share of the, of the increased the co costs. Then have the trips gone up in those areas where they're? No, we have not seen we have not seen significant changes in the trip making percentages in those areas versus other parts of the city. Um, I do think if if they were to change in the future, it'd probably be um, with less trips happening in that downtown corridor. So that could result in um, you know less costs for BART, but I don't see that re resulting in less for for Muni. So a, a study. And this is only, in, as Supervisor Chen asked, in the, in, the, in the radius around the BART station. Correct. So do you have the info that you could send to us regarding the Balboa BART in terms of the number of? Sure, I can, I can do that. That in, that in Glen Park. I know that the, the Balboa BART station, for example, is, is one of the most significant, significantly utilized. And we have a lot of seniors aging in place um, that need that service. So I'm just curious if as many people are aware, because I could see an increase in ridership as more people were aware of that service and how it's provided. Yeah, and we will, we do um, meet the demand for increased ridership in all the neighborhoods in the city. So paratransit ridership has gone up. Um, during the pandemic, it's, it's been less because of people, um, you know, staying in place, but we expect that to you know, ramp back up when uh, the pandemic is over and people are back and, and to their regular since, trip since making. Since we're on the subject, is it is it pretty user friendly for for seniors and those that might not necessarily have technology to access paratransit? Yeah, we have two. We have multiple programs. We have the taxi program that that works much like a regular taxi service, which many seniors feel works well for them because mm. it's something they're already familiar with and they use a debit card to pay for that service. The van service is day before scheduled service where they can get even greater level of, of um, assistance if they need it, you know, from the door, their stairs, that kind of thing. And so they use their own debit card? They use a debit card that's provided by paratransit to oh. them. It's a debit card specifically for paratransit rides. And is there, and how are people, how do people qualify for that? They qualify based on their um, inability to use the fixed route system for some or all of their trips. And there's a ADA application form that they fill out. And then there's usually an in-person or telephone interview um, to determine eligibility. Yeah. Sometimes and we, as you know, I'm sorry to interrupt. No, we no, also no. have the ETC program, the essential trip card program that the Board of Supervisors have been extremely, um, you know, uh, um, 
supportive of, and that's also provided additional taxi services for seniors who are not ADA eligible and people with disabilities who may not be ADA eligible during the pandemic and we're continuing that program. Good, no, I know we, we actually were really happy with the work that you all did during uh, COVID. We work really closely with your team. I just wanted to just get on the record in terms of people's access and their ability to use it, particularly those that are monolingual or, I mean, oftentimes seniors also experience injuries and they might need it temporarily. And paratransit is available for temporary um, use as well. And they can apply for a temporary it, paratransit eligibility, even if it's, you know, three months or six months or, you know, while they're having treatment or recovering from an injury. Yeah, that would be good. Okay, great. Thank you. Thank you You're so welcome. much. Can we please open this item up for public comment? Yes, members of the public who are wishing to speak on this item and are joining us in person should line up now. For those listening remotely, please call 415-655-0001. Enter the meeting ID of 2488-4775074, then press pound twice. Once connected, press star three to enter the speaker line. For those already in the queue, please continue to wait until the system indicates you have been unmuted and you can begin uh, sharing your comments. Seeing no in-person speakers here in the chamber, and Mr. Lamb, unmute our first caller, please. Can you hear me please okay? Please begin. Great. Uh, David Pilpel, I think this is my only comment for today. Um, the MTA board only acted on this matter yesterday. I question whether MTA had the authority to submit this to the Board of Supervisors um, roughly a month ago in advance of the MTA board action. Um, I would consider adding a new whereas clause on page, one moment, on page one or two, uh, somewhere uh, appropriate in the resolution, uh, noting the MTA board action yesterday, uh, recommending uh, approval and including the resolution uh, number. I think the final resolve clause on page three should be a part of all Board of Supervisors contract approval uh, resolutions uh, wherein it um, requests that uh, the fully executed agreement be included in the file so that it's part of the permanent record of the Board of Supervisors. I think that is a very good practice. And finally, I have no issue with the underlying agreement or the reasonable cost-sharing uh, methodology used here. Appreciate Annette, or Annette Williams for all of her work over uh, many years. And um, I I don't think the issue is so much the costs of both agencies, uh, but the um, allocated um, portion of uh, trips, and we could spend a lot of money trying to better fine tune it, and bottom line is it's close to 7.9%, and I, I think this is a fine methodology that's uh, been used um, for many years to allocate the costs of the um, paratransit uh, trips within the city. Thanks very much for listening. And Madam Chair, that completes our queue. Public comment is now closed. Supervisor Safai. I'd like to make a motion to send this item to the full board positive recommendation. And, and Ms. Clerk, can you add me as a co-sponsor, please? Noted, Mr. Vice Chair. Roll call vote. On that motion, to forward this uh, resolution to the full board with a positive recommendation. Vice Chair Safai. Aye. Safai, aye. Member Chan. Aye. Chan, aye. Chair Ronan. Aye. Ronan, aye. We have three ayes. That motion passes unanimously. Thank you so much. Um, Mr. Clerk, can you now read items three, four, five, and seven together? 
Yes, Madam Chair. Item numbers three, four, and five are ordinances with item seven as a resolution approving and authorizing the director of property and the executive director of the Department of Homelessness and Supportive Housing to enter into a lease and property management agreements with the following to lease, operate, and maintain the real property and residential improvements for certain properties uh, at a, at an initial four-year term to commence upon the first day of the month following the effective date of the respective ordinances with item 7's term to commence on February 1st, 2023. All agreements with one five-year option to extend and base rent of $1 per year with no annual rent increases and for net property management and operating costs to be paid by the city uh, in the following total five-year amounts. Determining in accordance with the administrative code that the below market rent payable under the agreement will serve a public purpose by providing permanent supportive housing for formerly homeless and low-income households, adopting findings that the property is exempt surplus land under the California Surplus Land Act, exempting the properties in items 3, 4, and 5 from contracting requirements in Administrative Code Chapter 6, but requiring compliance with the prevailing wage and apprenticeship requirements of the Administrative Code, authorizing the Department of Property and the Executive Director of HSH to make certain modifications to the agreement and take certain actions in furtherance of the agreement uh, and the ordinances uh, as defined, ratifying all prior actions taken by the city employee, uh, by any city employee or official with, with respect to the agreements informing the planning department's determination under CEQA and adopting the planning department's findings that the agreements are consistent with the general plan and the eight priority policies of the planning code. Item three is with the Dolores Street Community Services for services at the property at 5630 to 5638 Mission Street, not to exceed approximately 11.6 million. Item four is also with Dolores Street Community Services for services at 3055 to 3061 16th Street, not to exceed approximately 7.4 million. Item number five is with key, five key schools and programs for services at 835 Turk Street, not to exceed 16.6 million. And item number seven, is with Housing for Independent People, Incorporated, for services at the property at 333 12th Street, not to exceed approximately 20 million. Members of the public are joining us remotely and wish to comment on these items. Please call 415-655-0001. Enter the meeting ID of 2488-477-5074, then press pound twice. Once connected, um, you will need to press star three to enter the speaker line. A prompt will indicate that you have raised your hand, and when the system indicates you have been unmuted, there will be a cue to begin your comments. Madam Chair. Thank you so much. And we have Deputy Director Emily Cohen here to present. Good afternoon, um, Supervisors and members of the Budget and Finance Committee. I'm Emily Cohen, Deputy Director with the Department of Homelessness and Supportive Housing. And I'm here today to discuss four pieces of legislation that will authorize the Director of Property and HSH to enter into master lease, master lease agreements and property management agreements with selected nonprofit service providers for four recently acquired permanent supportive housing sites, all of which have been before you already to authorize those purchases. We have recently acquired permanent supportive housing buildings and need master lease and property management agreements to fully implement these new projects. 
The first of these agreements was brought to the committee in early November. That was at the Margo at 1321 Mission Street, was passed with support of this committee and by the full board. The remaining four agreements for these additional properties are before you today, and that includes 333 12th Street, 3061 16th Street, that's Casa Esperanza, 5630 Mission Street, which is the Mission Inn, and 835 Church Street. All four agreements before you today would authorize the Director of Property and HSH to enter into the agreements with the selected nonprofit providers so that they can lease, operate, and maintain the properties mentioned. These projects, three of these projects come before you via ordinance in order to waive Administrative Code Chapter 6 to allow the selected nonprofit property managers of the sites to manage the residential building conversion and rehab work while, while maintaining the requirements of Chapter 23, which include prevailing wage, local hire, and apprenticeship requirements and other labor-related requirements. All of the agreements before you today have a term of, have a five-year term with one option for a five-year extension. They're a dollar a year in rent due to the nature of providing a public service of providing permanent supportive housing and support the ongoing management and maintenance of the properties as permanent supportive housing in line with the housing first and other supportive housing models. I'll run through each of the, the projects before you today fairly quickly, as I think you all are fairly familiar with them. 333 12th Street is a new permanent supportive housing building that we have acquired with 200 units. These are multi-bedroom units, and these will support families exiting homelessness. Um, abode Services will be providing the property management, and they were selected through RFP number 138. The lease and property management agreement has a not to exceed amount of approximately $20 million. And later on this agenda, I will be before you to with an accept and expend for a $56.6 million home key grant towards this project. This is an incredible opportunity to bring families out of the shelters, out of their cars, and into permanent high quality housing. The next property, uh, which is, and I should mention that property is in Soma in District 6. The next property is 3061 16th Street. This is Casa Esperanza um, in District 9. This, is, this property is providing permanent supportive housing for up to 25 young adults. Um, property management services are being provided uh, by, by Dolores Street Community Services, who is here today, and they were selected through RFP 134.1 and Larkin Street Youth Services will be providing the social services on site. The lease and property management agreement for this project has a not to exceed amount of approximately $7.4 million, and we have already received a $7.5 million home key award for this property. The third project in District 11, the Mission Inn, 5630 Mission Street, will provide 52 units of housing for young adults ages 18 to 24. Dolores Street Community Services um, is doing the property management at this site. So they were selected through RFP 134.1. They are being supported by Larkin Street doing the services and Mission Housing helping with the occupied rehab. 
the lease and property management agreement has a not to exceed amount of approximately $11.6 million. And we have received a home key award for this project in the amount of 16.8 million. And we will be before you with an A&E for that in January. So, and our final project um, in this packet is 835 Turk Street. This is a permanent supportive housing building that is now in district two and includes 114 units for, of supportive housing for adults leaving homelessness with private bathrooms, really lovely building. The property management provider will be Five, Ski, Five Keys School and Program, and they were selected through RFP 134.2 with a not to exceed amount of, of approximately $16.7 million. Before I return this to the, the chair and the BLA, I do want to thank our colleagues at the Budget and Legislative Analyst Office for their work on this report, with a special thanks to Nick Menard uh, for his thoughtful leadership. This has been one of the more challenging projects I've ever been a part of in city government, and really excited to get us to this point, that we're all here today <laughs> to get to this point. The BLA did make two recommendations in their report that I just want to address um, head on. And I'm obviously happy to have a more robust discussion, and I have a team of amazing people here to help answer any questions that you all might have. But recommendation two is to include a provision in the lease agreement that details the department's role in the selection and solicitation of contractors for the capital work. Yeah. And we have agreed with this recommendation, and we will be adding, we've been working with our city attorney, we've drafted language, and we will be adding that to the lease agreements. I can read that to you if that's a, okay, yes, yeah. It, it's, not it's not for the ordinance, but it will be added to section 34 of the lease agreement. And the language is that HSH has the right to oversee all aspects of the contractor's solicitation and selection process for any contracts of the property. Tenants must obtain HSH written approval of any general or professional service contractor solicitation prior to posting. In addition, tenants must obtain HSH's written consent prior to the selection of any applicable contractor. Um, and the city attorney's office felt like that really met the, the direction of the BLA. Recommendation number one uh, from the BLA is to decrease the contingency to 10% of expenditure. And this is where we differ from the BLA's recommendation. Um, we really feel strongly that, to, that we need to maintain the contingencies at the level proposed in the, in the contracts. 20% um, contingency is, con is considered a healthy contingency that is roughly the average for many of the homeless service contractors. In fact, last, just a couple weeks ago, uh, this committee approved a contract for the Margo or formerly the Panoramic, which included that level of contingency. Well, well, excuse me for interrupting through the chair. What was the exact amount of that contingency that you're referencing? 3.3 million. No, no, but the percentage, I'm sorry. 20. Okay, so it was 20% in that instance. Yes. And did you also have a reserve in yes. that instance? And what was the percentage of that reserve? Do you remember? Deputy Director Whitley will pull that up hopefully while... We're talking. I'm gonna, I'll let you finish. You can pull that up, but I'm, I have a question specifically about the reserve and the contingency. Great. Right. We'll ask those questions. 
Yeah. Who we'll ask those BLA. questions after the BLA right, presents? Right. I'm sorry. But did you want to the finish? only thing I wanted to add before I wrap up um, that you know, for two of these properties, we do have slightly higher contingencies. Um, given that these are city-owned assets and the first time the city has used the ownership model to provide permanent supportive housing, usually there's a private landlord involved in permanent supportive housing and they have responsibility for a component of the capital and maintenance work. Here, the city is responsible for funding all of that work. And given that it's really the first time the city has been the owner of residential property and that many of these properties were developed as hotels um, for partial occupancy and now they're going to be full-time occupied, we want to be prepared for any eventuality. Casa Esperanza and Laura Valdez can speak to this, has already had you know, some unexpected plumbing issues. We want to make sure we have the funds to address that. Um, that, that that's, that's and you know, this, is, this is a new model and we, do, we want to be prepared for challenges and not have providers, especially smaller social service providers that don't have their own you know, substantial resources to fall back on. We do not want to wait. We don't want to have delays in providing repairs for our tenants and our providers. So I will stop there and um, the team is all here for questions. Thank you. Great, and we'll now hear from the budget legislative analyst. And Nick, if you could speak into the microphone, sometimes it's hard to hear you. Okay, I'll speak <laughs> loudly into the microphone, thank you. Um, so these four pieces of legislation, they do a number of things. Uh, items three, four, and five are ordinances that are also inclu that include contract approvals for three of the projects that were just discussed. And then item seven is a resolution um, appro approving a contract for 333 12th Street. These are actually all leases for the city-owned sites and property management agreements uh, for the sites. They were all competitively selected. We reviewed the solicitations and the procurement process. There are separate contracts uh, for supportive services that will also serve the sites. They don't require board approval because they're less than $10 million. Um, but the reason that three of these contract approvals are ordinances is because they have Chapter 6 waivers. So I don't want to repeat all the information about the projects that the department just mentioned, but I do want to kind of dwell on some aspects of the recommendations here and kind of explain, I think, our perspective. One is, so I think it's worth just dwelling on the budget of these agreements, um, which you can find um, on page 11, 20, 30, and 43 of our report for the four agreements. And you'll see that there's different components of the budget. So we reviewed the budget very carefully. You can, and we looked at the salaries for the people who would be working at these sites. We looked at the non-operating expenses in detail. And we found, we believe that those are reasonable. Um, the budgets also include reserves mm -hmm. for, um, for, you know, if, if tenant income is less than expected or if there's maintenance issues that are beyond what is already budgeted and then not in the operating budget, right? So that is why, and then in addition to that, so that's all funded over the five-year term. In addition to that, the department has layered 20 to 30% contingencies above both the operating and the reserve budget as a just-in-case. So, you know, to inflate the not-to-exceed amount so that they can address unexpected issues without having to come back to the board. Mm -hmm. So I really just want to make clear that reducing the not-to-exceed amount, the only practical effect of that is the department 
coming back to the board and explaining what is going on here. Mm -hmm. So I, and that is, that is something, when we would see any contingency, I just want to make clear also, any contingency for a contract above 15%, we would make this recommendation on. So it's not specific to anyone at HSH or in fact that department in general. It is really, you know, from our perspective, defending the authority of the Board of Supervisors <clears throat> to, be, to have visibility mm -hmm. into what is happening at these sites that are providing really critical services. So that's sort of our view on the contingency. The other issue is that the Chapter 6 waivers um, within the three ordinances basically allow the allow the nonprofit and allow the department to fund the nonprofit to do rehabilitation work that's necessary. Over these three sites, there's about between two and $21 million at each site of rehab work that needs to be done. When we were examining the, the practical impact of the waivers, we kind of looked at the existing city process of Chapter 6, the existing waivers for homeless projects that already the board has approved, and, and then what was added back in within this legislation. And so I think really the, the practical impact of the waiver here is truly just to um, remove public works um, from the rehabilitation process and again allow HSH to fund the nonprofit to do the, do the rehabilitation work that's necessary. So then the question became for us, um, are, are, do the agreements themselves um, have proper controls in them uh, to, to ensure you know, a reasonable outcome and that, that, and that those rehab budgets um, uh, are stuck to? And we were trying to mimic the policy environment of an affordable housing project. And th that is the basis of these recommendations here, which is to uh, uh, include in the final agreements um, specifications for the city's role in improving RFP for general contractors and related professional services, uh, for participating, for approving, excuse me, for participating in the evaluation panels for selecting those contractors, and then providing technical assistance to assess bids. This is stuff that, you know, the Mayor's Office of Housing and Community Development um, includes in their loan agreements as a matter of practice. So that's the basis of those recommendations. The other p point I want to make is that, in general, so these properties have all, Three of them have been awarded home key funds. The rest of the costs are funded in, in, to a large extent by Proposition C, and then there is some tenant income generated um, from the sites as well. 835 Turk, the, the department did not apply for a home key award. Um, and, you know, and in fact, the home key awards are only covering the, they, they, they offset the cost of the purchase, but they only cover a couple years of the operating costs. So these are ongoing commitments um, that will, you know, last, you know, as long as the city wants to house, use these sites for housing, uh, drawing on the proxy revenues. Happy to answer any other questions. Yeah, Nick, so did the language that Ms. Cohen read um, satisfy your recommendation number two? You know, I, I would like to just like, see it in <laughs> writing because it's hard to hear if they could forward it to me. That, that'd be great. Will you get my attention when you've read it? <laughs> okay, great. Um, Supervisor Safai. Thank you. Thank you uh, to the budget and legislative analysts as well as HSH uh, for the work on this. Um, just want to go back to the contingency and the uh, reserve. 
So I was asking the question, I understand you gave examples and in other instances where contingency ranged between 20 and 25 percent, but was that coupled with a reserve of over 15 percent? Good afternoon, Gigi Whitley um, with HSH. Um, supervisors, um, members of the committee, I think it's important to understand the context here in answering that question. So just briefly, um, you know, we, um, um, with the, under the leadership of the mayor's office and Dan Adams is here to speak to this as well, um, really sprinted to um, purchase these sites mm -hmm. and did significant due diligence, but did do a visual inspection, a typical inspection, knowing that some of these sites needed significant rehab. Um, these buildings were built as hotels. Uh, they weren't built for residential occupancy. They were really built for things like partial occupancy, and they're not built from the ground up. These are sites that were already existing, and um, unlike a MoCD project where you know how the building's going to operate, you've been managing the development all along, um, these sites um, have unknowns. And so our attempt with the contingency in the reserves was really twofold to, um, um, you know, assure our nonprofit partners who do not have deep pockets that the city is, as the owner, going to be there to make sure that the asset is preserved for the health and safety, not just of the building, but certainly the vulnerable clients that are there. Additionally, um, you know, we've been looking at a reserve, operating reserve and replacement policy for a while in our PSH. Um, you know, having the responsibility of being really the owner of the asset and for the first time in the city, really owning residential property, um, we thought it was prudent to include an operating reserve and that's really based on the operating budget for each site as well as a replacement reserve. And so that would be when units turn over or if units are damaged, it's a percentage of units we believe are gonna turn over throughout the term of the contract. So for the Margo, it was roughly 14.5% was the reserve, um, the reserve, but again, that was a calculated negotiated cost um, in partnership with the provider. Those are all costs we're going to budget um, the contingency is really separate. That is for those unknowns I mentioned, kind of like a home inspection. You don't really know until maybe it rains or you all move in and you start using the water and the heater, what issues might be um, going on with the building. And we have committed to the providers to act with um, immediacy to make sure that they have the resources to address these unknowns. So even though our typical contingency is 20%, um, for two of the sites that need some significant rehab, we increase that slightly. You know, certainly based on the feedback from the BLA and conversations um, that, you know, with your staff, we're certainly comfortable with a 20% contingency, but we did want to be really transparent with this committee about the unknowns and our commitment to our nonprofit partners. Thank you. Thank you. I, I mean, I listen, I, I've been the, one of the strongest proponents of moving forward with the purchasing of the hotels, and I want to appreciate Dan Adams and um, Andrico and the real estate team and the strike team that was put together as they you know, colloquially called it, and I think we've done a tremendous job. I'm just trying to get at the um, the issue of 
practice in terms of operating, in terms of contingency. And then there's also, in this instance, there's another five point, almost $5.2 million that will be allocated for construction costs, and that should be getting at some of these issues. I mean, I certainly want to make sure that, and I think we want to make sure that there's the appropriate amount of money in reserve for ongoing maintenance. Uh, I think that's really important. I think a lot of these buildings are old. I think it's pretty obvious that there will be electrical, heating, plumbing issues. But I guess what I need to understand a little bit more is then what's the scope of work in terms of the overall construction cost? Because I would hope that some of these issues would be tackled then, and then it would be really ongoing maintaining the property after it's been rehabilitated in some form. So if you can talk about that, that might help us understand because I understand that there's going to be roof repair, there's going to be fire suppression systems, there's going to be finishes for kitchens and repurposing of the parking lot. And all, but it, was there any intention to look at the existing electrical plumbing and heating? I'll step in and see if I can address that, sure. supervisors. Um, Dan Adams with the mayor's office. Uh, so exactly right. We're, the, uh, the, there was an initial scoping of anticipated rehab costs done at acquisition, right. and the teams have been uh, refining that cost, though primarily looking at what we call make-ready work, so doing sort of minor rehab to get the properties in a condition that they can, they can offer immediate um, uh, 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 residency to, to, uh, uh, to clients, to tenants. And these, these agreements include, are both lease agreements, they also fund pre-development expenses. Mm -hmm. So the, the teams are going to be engaged in procuring, and that procurement process has already begun, uh, technical architects, engineers, as well as contractors to really develop and refine the ultimate rehab scope. So the scopes that you're seeing in these summaries today are initial scopes that are based largely in the, during the acquisition phase and the, and the physical needs assessments that were done at that time. What we're doing today is giving funds so that they can really refine those scopes. And then that will become the construction scope of work, which will be funded in a, under a separate uh, form of agreement. Right. No, I see that in the report, that there will be, this is an estimate in terms of the actual right. cost of construction. You all will come back and submit it. But I'm, again, I'm com coming back to, you want a 15 point, the, the, the reserve makes sense to me um, because that's, in anticipating any shortfalls in rent right it's not gonna, there's no shortfall in prop c at least the money's already allocated in the home key grant so that's that's there to hold you for five years it really would be in tenant income and that's a very small portion so then we're really talking about ongoing maintenance and so this is an almost 50 percent category before you've even come back and told us what your actual construction costs are and we're going to allocate money for that well, I guess twofold, and I, and, I, and I don't want to repeat uh, uh, comments that have been made previously. I, I think we are two issues. One is we're advantaged to be very conservative at this stage. This is a new program, a new kind of ownership right. structure for us. Right. Right. Um, as was previously stated, these are new buildings for us. And so um, we're collectively, and I think Gigi's reference to we want to be transparent about these requests to the board at this time, but we want to be conservative in our budgeting so that we can move with speed should there be unforeseen conditions. I think the, the, the experience during the SIP hotels. I'm sorry, let me yeah. ask a question another way. So you're going to do your pre-development. When do you anticipate to begin construction, and will it include plumbing and electrical? It, it should, in for the major cases, I think in every case there will be plumbing and electrical improvements for sure. For the for the for the rehabs that are articulated here, as as 
333 12th Street does not need any rehab, so that wouldn't include that. And these reserves and contingencies are designed for a five-year period, correct? The replacement and, and operating reserves would be over the course of the, of the term of the lease. That's correct. I, I, guess what I'm, I guess what I'm trying to get at is it seems to me as though we're, we're putting a little bit too much on reserve in terms of contingency and anticipation of work that might happen in the sense that you're going to go in and do rehabilitation work. I, I want you all, I'm, I'm personally, I, I want you all to have the right amount of money. I want these buildings to be successful. I want this model to be successful. I also don't want you to have money parked somewhere that could then be used for other programming within your department when money is diminishing. So I, I, I don't think we're really too far off in terms of what's being presented, but I do know that you will come back at some point with a more refined amount and we are most likely to approve that amount because it will be pretty refined and say we want the infrastructure and the buildings upgraded and then you can come back and say this is what we need in terms of this ongoing maintenance and, and operation. Did I, you want to jump in, Chair? Yes, thank you, Supervisor Savey. I just wanted to, to add to that that, you know, the, the board understanding of of this new approach to providing supportive housing is also very important so when you don't come back to us and tell us what's happening and there's a procedure and a process for that then we don't have the ability to evaluate from a policy perspective whether or not this is a, a, a good addition to our repertoire and so that, that's just a, a, you know, another issue that I wanted to put out there. No, but no, thank you. On. I mean, I, I, I think that's right. I mean, because as we learn more, you might come back and say, the scope of work we anticipated for the mission in was 5.1, but it's really 7 million. And the reason why is because the entire electrical and plumbing needs to be replaced. Once you do that, you will no longer need a 30% contingency, right? And so what I, I think what would be better would be to reduce the contingency to a, a number that I think we can all agree on, come back and tell us as soon as you are, and I know you're doing this, what the scope of work is, what the actual condition of the buildings are as you've opened up and looked at the system. We can allocate that across the board and then that'll help us adjust and understand how we wanna move on this going forward. I just don't think it, I think you're asking for money that you're not necessarily gonna need because you're gonna come back and say, this is what our scope of work is now. We're actually gonna be replacing these systems. We don't, you're gonna need a new heating system, a new air ducts, a new electrical plumbing. That's not what this money is for. That money is for ongoing maintenance. Is that your understanding? The way it's read there? Mr. Menard? Uh, Nick Menard from the BLA. I mean, it could be used for anything, right? It's, it's, it's unbudgeted, it could be used to do pre-development work. It could be used for unmet maintenance needs. Um, it could be used to, it could be used for anything, just, with the department's permission, right? Right. Yeah. May I respond? Sure, please. Thank you, uh, Gigi Whitley, HSH. Um, through the chair, just a couple points of clarification. So the operating and replacement reserves are sized to the operating budget, independent of the pre-development work and the right. timing of that pre-development work. And here's why that's really critical. We know from the SIP hotels and you know, our ongoing work with providers, the kind of wear and tear, uh, very vulnerable clients that are moving right from the street into these units, maybe for the first time in their life living alone 
in a private space um, have the potential to damage those units. And so independent of any repairs to the plumbing, that kind of thing, we wouldn't be coming back and asking for lower reserves. No, the the contingency, right. sir, is separate. Um, mm -hmm. Those are not funds that could be used for other things because we're not going to budget those at all. It's really a contract contingency. So if there is an emergency and... Um, Ms. Valdez um, alerts us that she doesn't have enough in her budget to make an immediate repair, we can move with undue haste. Independent from any sort of reporting or updates you would like, always happy to um, provide those at any stage of this project. So again, 20% is what we would recommend, and thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Supervisor Chan. Thank you, Chair Ronan. I actually concur in the sentiments of both Chair Ronan and Vice Chair Safai in a sense where um, it's really, it's just for any city departments that when a contingency uh, is above 15% and that it's really a mechanism to allow a policy conversation. So I am in, I concur with um, really uh, to actually hold that line, so to speak, especially given the fact that this is a new program. And I also wanted to throw in there that uh, during my briefing with the budget and legislative analysts is that, you know, there's a conversation really about um, the waiver of Chapter 6 and the requirement, while I know that you are in agreement of the language, and I think that we're waiting to see if the language is suffice uh, that you propose to uh, satisfy what the BLA recommended. I, I think that there it does, with all these, especially if when you come back and when you had the opportunity to come back um, for for more funding or not to exceed to increase and not to exceed amount for contingency is also allowing a policy conversation like we we the city has approved a streamlined contracting from homeless services and siting for homeless shelter in 2019 uh, you know that's expiring uh, in 2024 uh, it's sunsetting uh, as a policy and I think that it's a really worthwhile for us and which is the sunsetting of that policy uh, sort of uh, related to the waiver of Chapter 6. And, and that can we, should we actually go back and evaluate both the existing policy for the streamlined contracting as well as the waiver of Chapter 6? How do we actually set up and codify uh, for this purpose specifically uh, in terms of, you know, solicitation for contractors for capital improvements that perhaps makes this process more efficient overall. And by the only way that we can really do that, I think, is for us to have um, a timed conversation, especially is actually based on budget. Because after all, it is like how do we figure out the most cost-effective way to streamline these contracting process and to provide these services. And I think that um, I'm, I'm glad that you brought in the um, shelter-in-place hotel process. I, I think that's why, but, but it's kind of different. While it's the same, it's different because now the city is, is actually taking on this responsibility. So are there any other ways for us to be more cost-effective and, and also more effective with streamlining the contract. I think those are worthwhile conversation to be had. Um, and as we know, it's a lot of things happening in the city all the time. Um, so this perhaps give us a chance, uh, one more layer and one more opportunity to have these conversation before it's too late. 
So that's just my thought. Thank you, Chair Ronan. Thank you, Supervisor Sepik. Yes, I, th I think what I, what I would like to suggest is uh, based on what, what the department has done in the past and other instances in terms of the contingency in the reserves, it seems to me like the, the right number would be for that number to add up to 25%. Um, I, I think that you will have the opportunity, uh, I'm sorry, 35%. I think that you all will have the opportunity if you need adjustments going forward uh, to come back and tell us about it. Um, but I also feel like you're gonna have the appropriate amount of money in reserve, appropriate amount of money in contingency, and then as you do the actual numbers on the cost of construction and repair, it will give you a better sense of what you really need that contingency for. Seems to me to make sense across the board. We could say easily, we could just reduce the contingency to 20% for all of, the, all of the sites, and then that's right around 35%. Well, in two of the contracts, it's already at 20%. So oh, okay. So it would just be two, the two others. But the two with others, the, yeah. uh, the two, the contracts that have the 20% contingency, I don't see what the percentage of the reserves are, or at least from the BLA report. Uh, Mr. Menard, do you want to chime in on all of this? Yes, uh, <laughs> sure. I can go find the number. I think it's about 15% um, for the reserves, typically, or just within a percentage point of that. So if you did a 20% across the board, you're correct, it would only affect those two. Um, I also just want to, on a different matter, the language that they circulated, it is consistent with our recommendations. So I do think Good. that adds the appropriate level of control. Right. Fantastic. So, we didn't even get into that. So if, Mr. Menard, and can I ask you, so if the department's in agreement, then we would only be amending two of the items to reduce the contingency from 30 to 20%, is that that's correct? Cor that's correct. Okay, and can I ask the department if that's acceptable? Yes, thank you. Thank you, okay, so. Um, can I just add one more thing, I'm sorry. And not sure. about the numbers, I just, just to your point, I think it would be helpful to understand once you actually do an actual on the um, cost of construction as it relates to the reserve and the contingency, Supervisor Ronan's point for us to understand the policy decisions we've made here today so we can better adjust going forward. I appreciate the, the BLA's rec second recommendation, which was also about oversight, monitoring, contracting. That, is a, that was absolute must, and so I, I, I'm in 100% agreement with that, but um, definitely having us understand what the actual cost of construction are and then the actual use of the reserve and the contingency, I think would be really helpful as we move forward. So if, if, if you all wanna come back and inform us or give us some type of update, that would be helpful. Okay, great. So let's open these items up for public comment as I prepare these motions. <laughs> Thank you, Madam Chair, oh, members of the public. Mr. Clerk, one sec. Oh, no, never mind. Keep going, keep going, keep okay. going. Yes, uh, members of the public wish to speak on these items and are joining us in person should line up now. However, uh, for those listening remotely, please call 415-655-0001, enter the meeting ID of 248-847-75074, then press pound twice 
Once connected, press star three to enter the speaker line. And for those already in the queue, please continue to wait until the system indicates you have an unmuted hand. That'll be your signal to begin your comments on items three, four, five, and seven. Um, as you please begin, I'll start your time. Thank you. Uh, good afternoon. I am Laura Valdez, the executive director of Dolores Street Community Services. I would like to express our support for the Tay Housing programs at Casa Esperanza and Mission Inn. Thank you to the Mayor's Office and the Department of Homelessness and Supportive Housing for the commitment to ending youth homelessness and ensuring and ensuring youth youth um, and sorry um, for the commitment to ending youth homelessness and ensuring that youth of color who faced increased barriers to housing are afforded a pathway out of homelessness. We are excited to be partnering with Larkin Street Youth Services and our organizations will be delivering trauma-informed services that are linguistically and culturally appropriate. Our joint approach is based on positive youth development and restorative justice principles. We understand that our youth bring assets and, and believe that with the right support, young people can move forward with their lives and reach their full potential. Casa Esperanza and Mission Inn are providing unhoused youth dignified housing and a safe and nurturing environment to have community and a place of belonging. Thank you. Thanks so much for your comments, Laura Valdez. Um, Mr. Lamb, do we have any speakers in the queue? Okay, Kylan, meter color. Hi, this is Vivian Wan. I'm the Chief Operating Officer of Abode Services and our property management affiliate, HIP Housing. We're really excited to partner with, uh, with the city to provide nearly 200 units for families um, experiencing homelessness at City Gardens. Abode and our property management arm, HIP, have been serving the Bay Area for more than 30 years specifically supporting permanent supportive housing for those who have experienced homelessness. We support more than 40 build, buildings, both on the property management and the services side. And while we've only been working in San Francisco for about two years, we've been working in the greater Bay Area for, as I said, 30, serving about 14,000 people a year. We really believe in, in quality housing, promoting residential tenancy, uh, promoting a high quality building. We know that when people live in a high quality setting that they thrive. And of course, being a good community partner, working with the community assets. We really appreciate the collaboration with the city, specifically HSH. And, um, and, you know, want to echo the need for contingency, specifically on buildings that we didn't, uh, we didn't build that weren't really built for permanent supportive housing. While we're great property managers and service providers, there are always unforeseen things that happen. And this limits our um, need to, to, frankly, cash flow a project while it goes through the administrative process. So really, again, excited to partner on this, this building um, and to house a ton of families in the city. So thank you very much. Thanks so much, Vivian Wong, for your comments. Uh, Mr. Lamb, uh, please unmute our next caller. Hello, my name is Megan, and I am one of the co-directors for the housing department with Five Keys. We are super excited to partner with HSH for the 835 Turk Street and this new model of PSH housing. 
We're excited to provide more stable and high quality housing for folks experiencing homelessness. And we've already seen many positive outcomes from the folks who have moved into 835 Turk. And we're excited to continue this partnership. Uh, we believe in serving our guests with compassion and excellence in everything we do. And we're super excited to move forward. Um, we also do support this 20% contingency. Um, over the pandemic, we had the opportunity to run many SIP sites and we've seen how issues and things can come up. Um, and with partnership with HSH, you know, we really believe that this is important um, to have. Thank you. Thanks so much, Megan, for your comments. Uh, Madam Chair, that completes our queue. Public comment is now closed. I'm wondering if we have um, the numbers that we need to amend. We do. Okay, fantastic. Um, so let's take these items one by one. Very well. Um, Mr. Clerk, I would like to make a motion on item number three to reduce um, the uh, contingency from 30% to 20%. And that would mean, and I'm going to turn it over to Gigi Whitley to read the correct numbers. Uh, that would be a not to exceed amount um, of 11,337,500. Wait, what? What? Oh, that no. doesn't make sense. No, just the contingency line item. Right? Beg the, your the legislation only includes the not to exceed amount. Oh. So to amend the legislation, we want to make sure we know the new number that will be reflected there. Is that um, right? That doesn't so what seem is the right. number? So 20% contingency would be a reduction in the contingency of 298464 I've rounded down, um, so that is a not to exceed amount of 11,337,500 overall for the agreement. Excuse me. <laughs> what is it, what does it read now? What is the number now? 636. Oh. Helpful, it's less money than I thought. Okay, I will, we'll still stick with it, yeah. I would, could we just confer, so, so the three of us are all on the same page. I think we're, I have different numbers in, in my calculation, just to make sure that the committee's wishes yes, are. I'm going to give you guys a, 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 a few minutes, and let's go ahead. And, but you want to read the second one as well? Reduction. Actually, um, let me, um, we can just go ahead and approve five and seven. So let's start with that. Okay. So as they're working. Mr. Clerk. I withdraw my motion <laughs> and I would like to instead make a motion to send item five to the full board with positive recommendation. Can we have a roll call vote? We don't need to amend it, it's already in there. The second recommendation. They already brought the item to the board with the amendment in it. Yes. No problem. That's what I checked on, too. So we had the same question. <laughs> okay. On that motion to forward item five uh, to the full board with a positive <laughs> recommendation, Vice Chair Safai. Aye, and, and please add me as the co-sponsor. Noted, Mr. Vice Chair. Uh, Safai, aye. Member Chan. Aye. Chan, aye. Chan Ronan. Aye. Ronan, aye. We have three ayes. That motion passes unanimously. And now I'd like to make a motion to send item seven to the full board with positive recommendation. On that motion to forward item seven uh, to the full board with a positive recommendation, Vice Chair Safai. 
Aye, and please add me as a co-sponsor. Noted, Mr. Vice Chair. Member Chan. Aye. Chan, aye. Chair Ronan. Aye. Ronan, aye. We have three ayes. That motion passes unanimously. And now um, I am going to ask you to call item number nine, because we don't want to distract Man Emily. <laughs> item number nine. <laughs> item number nine is a resolution authorizing the Department of Public Works to apply to the California Natural Resources Agency's Urban Greening Program for a grant in the amount of approximately 456000 to fund the planting trees and growing trees jobs project at the South of Market Tree Nursery and affirming the planning department's determination under CEQA. Members of the public who are joining us remotely and wish to comment on this resolution, please call 415-655-0001, enter the meeting ID of 2488-477-5074, then press pound twice. Once connected, uh, press star three to enter speaker line. A system prompt will indicate that you have raised your hand and when the system indicates you have been unmuted, that will be your signal to begin your comments. Madam Chair. Yes, can we um, have John Sway uh, present? Good afternoon, Chair Ronan and Supervisors. My name is John Sway with San Francisco Public Works Bureau of Urban Forestry. I'm here today to request the board's approval of an apply for resolution. This resolution will allow Public Works to apply for approximately $450,000 in urban greening grant funds through the California Natural Resources Agency and is a requirement of the funder. The grant would fund the planting and watering of 200 street trees in neighborhoods with some of the lowest tree canopy in San Francisco, including the Tenderloin and South of Market. The funding will also be used to support workforce development and training in conjunction with the city's new street tree nursery being constructed at 5th and Harrison Streets. On October 26, Public Works and community partners hosted staff from the California Natural Resources Agency on a site visit to evaluate the project. We were joined by representatives from the Transgender District, Tenderloin Community Benefit District, and Soma West Community Benefit District. The meeting was a success, and we're hopeful that we're on the path to securing these grant funds to green some of the neighborhoods with the most need. The planting project also has the support of the Association of Ramatush Shaloni, who provided a letter to the state advocating on behalf of the project. Thank you for considering this resolution for approval. If our application is successful, we'll hopefully be returning to you in a few months to request the board to pass and accept and expend resolution. I'm happy to answer any questions you may have. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I don't believe there's any questions, but I'm really excited about this. If I can be added as a co-sponsor and same with Supervisor Chan, we both want to be added as and Supervisor Safai, all three of us. Uh, can we please open this item up for public comment? Yes, just noticing the, co uh, oh, sorry, just uh, confirming the addition of uh, co-sponsorship of all three members. Um, members of the public who wish to speak on this item and are joining us in person to line up to speak. For those listening remotely, please call 415-655-0001. Enter the meeting ID of 2488-477-5074, and then press pound twice. Press star three to enter the speaker line. Please continue to wait until the system indicates you have been unmuted. And as your signal to begin your comments, seeing no in-person speakers here in the chamber. And Madam Chair, we have no speakers in the queue. 
public comment is now closed, and I'd like to um, make a motion to send item nine to the full board with positive recommendation. On that motion to forward this resolution to the full board with a positive recommendation, Vice Chair Safai, Safai, I member Chan, Chan, I, Chair Ronan. Aye. Ronan, aye. We have three ayes. That motion passes unanimously. I'm wondering if we're ready to come back to item number three. Wonderful. So um, I'm going to hand it over to Nick Mernard to read in the amendments. Thank you. Um, item three, which is filed 221156 related to 5630 mission. The, the new not to exceed amount would be $10,741,000. And then for item four, filed 221157 related to 3061 16th Street, the new not to exceed amount would be $7,000,000. $147,000. Those numbers make more sense <laughs> intuitively to me. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, my had an inaccuracy. Uh, I was looking at the wrong project, so I apologize. <laughs> no problem, but I was thinking to myself, oh, maybe we do need the bigger <laughs> contingency when you're telling me those numbers. Uh, I, I'm really glad. Thank you for all working together um, on this. I really appreciate it. Just wanna, I just want to add the request of the city attorney that the numbers be changed throughout the legislation. Yep. Perfect. Okay, so we'll start again with item number three. I'd like to make a motion to amend item number three as um, read into the record by the budget and legislative analysts. Can we have a roll call vote? On that motion to amend uh, the ordinance in item number three uh, to reduce a not to exceed amount as stated by the BLA, uh, Vice Chair Safai, Safai, aye. Member Chan. Chan, aye. Chair Ronan. Aye. Ronan, aye. We have three ayes. That motion passes unanimously, and now I'd like to send the amended item to the full board for po with positive recommendation. On that motion to forward uh, the ordinance and item number three to the full board with a positive recommendation as amended, Vice Chair Safai. Safai, aye. Member Chan. Chan, aye. Chair Ronan. Aye. Ronan, aye. We have three ayes. That motion passes unanimously. Yes, uh, Supervisor um, Chan. Thank you, Chair Rona. I just want to understand, besides the not to exceed amount due to contingency percentage reduction, for all these, we also have um, amended them to include the um, contract agreement. Right, and, and just to put that on the record, the department uh, brought that, that's incorporated into the version of, of the legislation before us, before us today. Correct. That does not require a change to the ordinance or a resolution. Great. Thank you. Yeah, that's not in the ordinance. It's in they're the, agreeing, in the they're contract, agreeing verbally in the lease on, agreement. On the right. Record. Exactly. Thank you. <clears throat> so, with for, for all, and just for a point of clarification, for all the items that are related to the property management and leasing and construction, that they would incorporate in that language. Mr. Menard? Just want to clarify that that's not going to be in the ordinances, yes, but it will be in the agreements. Yeah, that's right. right. That's what we just said. <laughs> okay, fantastic. So now on item number four, I would like to make a motion to amend the item as read into the record by uh, the budget and legislative analyst. Can we have a roll call vote? On that motion to amend the ordinance in, as item number four. Um, to reduce the not to exceed amount uh, in the uh, amount stated by the budget and legislative analyst, uh, Vice Chair Safai. I am please add me as a co-sponsor. Noted, Mr. Vice Chair. Member Chan? Chan, aye. Chair Ronan? Aye. Ronan, aye. We have three ayes. 
That motion passes unanimously. And now I'd like to make a motion to send the amended item to the full board with positive recommendation. On that motion to forward the ordinance uh, to the full board with a positive recommendation as amended. Uh, Vice Chair Safai. Safai, aye. Member Chan. Chan, aye. Chair Ronan. Aye. Ronan, aye. We have three ayes. That, post, that motion passes unanimously. Uh, Thank pardon, you, team. Uh, I'm sorry, just to clarify, uh, Mr. Vice Chair, did you also want to be added as a co-sponsor to item three? Oh, you are already. Very well. <laughs> Thank you much. All right. Mr. Clerk, can you please read item number six? Yes, item number six is a resolution authorizing the Department of Homelessness in support of housing to execute a standard agreement with the California Department of Housing and Community Development for a total amount not to exceed approximately $56.5 million of project home key grant funds to accept and expend those funds for the acquisition of the property located at 333 12th Street for permanent uh, permanent supportive housing for families and to support its operations upon execution of the standard agreement through June 30th, 2026, approving and authorizing HSH to commit approximately $98.8 million in required matching funds for acquisition of the property and a minimum of five years of operating subsidy, affirming the planning department's determination under CEQA and adopting the planning department's findings uh, of consistency with the general plan and the eight priority policies of planning code and authorizing HSH to enter into any additions, amendments, or other modifications to the standard agreement in the home key documents that do not materially increase the obligations or liabilities to the city or materially decrease the benefits to the city. Members of the public are joining us remotely and wish to comment on this resolution. Please call 415-655-0001, enter the meeting ID of 2488-477-5074, and then press pound twice. Once connected, press star three to enter the speaker line. A system prompt will indicate that you've raised your hand. Hand when the system indicates you haven't unmuted, that will be a cue to begin your comments. Madam Chair. Thank you so much, and we have Emily Cohen presenting again. Good afternoon once again, Budget and Finance Committee. Emily Cohen from the Department of Homelessness and Supportive Housing. The item before you this afternoon will authorize HSH to accept and expend um, the final 2021 Home Key Award for the property at 333 12th Street, which is City Gardens. The resolution allows us to execute the standard agreement with the state to accept and expend 56.6 million in home key grant funds, commits us to 98.8 million in acquisition. Uh, the commitment we've already fulfilled through the first installment of the purchase of this property and to commit an estimated 4.1 million in operating matching funds for the next five years. I've already reviewed the details of this project with the last item, so but just as a reminder, this is 200 units of family housing in Soma um, and one of our only um, home key. This is the only family project that's in the home key kind of group. And happy to answer any questions. Thank you. And Thank we'll you. hear from the Bundling Legislative Analyst. Thank you. Uh, so as, as, as noted, uh, this is a accept and expend uh, for a home key award of $56.6 million. Um, it includes, um, that, that amount will largely be used to offset the cost of the purchase, um, which if you recall, the, when the board approved the purchase, this was, it was a two, it was, a, it was to be done over two installment payments, uh, the second of which 
would be is now going to be uh, funded by HomeKey uh, rather than a geo bond. So it does allow that money to be used for other purposes. The HomeKey award also provides operating subsidies for the f for the first couple years of the project, but um, requires the city to commit matching funds. Which in this case, as with the other properties, will be uh, Prop C will be used the homeless gross receipts tax. There is also in this amount in this resolution. It includes a bonus award of $1.6 million if the city is able to lease this property up uh, by March 2023. Uh, it, the, the department does not expect to meet that deadline. Um, I think in, in part per, uh, because there's exi existing tenants in the building, um, so they are going to miss out on that money, it looks like. Uh, but we, the, we, we, this is all incorporated in the budget for the property management agreement we were just discussing, and we recommend approval. Thank you. Can I ask a question about that? Um, that's a bummer. <laughs> I don't like to leave any money on the table, especially for family housing for homeless families. Um, there's not anything we can do to to ramp up the timeline. So, uh, Gigi Whitley, HSH, and I'll might refer to Dan if uh, there's more specific questions on the application. But when we uh, submitted the home key application we weren't anticipating being able to meet the deadline for the bonus funds grateful that the state you know was willing to give us the opportunity but it's really based on the existing tenants that we aren't going to be displacing people may decide to leave the building as new tenants move in but we won't be able to given the size of the building and the timing of the home key deadlines meet that requirement um, you know, we did receive such a sizable award uh, for this project that um, we won't be we won't need other funds, city funds, to make the second payment. So it's a a huge uh, accomplishment on that note. Understood. I don't want you evicting people. So thank you, <laughs> thank you for that. I just I'm so excited about this project. Um, the family homelessness in the city, as Emily and Dylan and I talk about all the time is increasing at an alarming rate. Um, so to have this amount of family affordable housing coming online is like a Christmas gift of the best kind. So thank you so, so, so very much. It's such an exciting project and I would love to be added as a co-sponsor to this item. And if we can open it up for public comment. Oh, sorry. Before we do that, Supervisor no, Safai. No, no, go ahead, take public comment. I'll, I'll comment after. Okay. <clears throat> yes, members of the public who wish to speak on this item and are joining us in person should line up now. For those listening remotely, please call 415-655-0001 with the meeting ID of 2488-477-5074, then press pound twice. Once connected, press star three to enter the speaker line for those already in the queue. Please continue to wait until the system indicates you have been muted, and that'll be your signal to begin your comments. Uh, seeing no in-person speakers here in the chamber, and Mr. Lamb, uh, please unmute our caller. So my name is Francisco da Costa, and I've been watching this presentation very intently. So we have thousands of people who need homes. We have a big problem with the Oasis Motel. And we want to know, we the people, 
if the HSS is ready for an audit. Because the shenanigans that's going on, as if you all know something about horizontal and vertical construction, maintenance, etc., is a joke. Is a joke. I think HSS has to be audited. I think we need all the audits done by FEMA to be put on a website so that we see how you jackasses have treated our homeless people. Not a single homeless person should be living on the streets. Not a single homeless person. Yet we see all these people who purport to know something about property management take things lightly. And the Board of Supervisors smile, oh, you know, we need to do something for the homeless, but what the hell are you doing? Nothing. Thank you very much. Thank you, Mr. Council, for your comments. And Madam Chair, that completes our queue. Thank you. Public comment is now closed. Supervisor Safai. I'm, I feel like this is a pretty big step of the city doing something significant. I'm really excited about this. Thank you to the staff and all the hard work for pushing this forward. I also want to thank the property owner for being willing to work and sell the property. I mean, it's the second one, I think, in their portfolio that they sold to the city. We're very lucky to have a brand new construction um, that we can move people into uh, that were formerly unhoused. I, I didn't see, uh, maybe I missed it in here. What ends up being the actual acquisition cost per unit? I mean, I, I could do the math, but did, did you have that in the report somewhere? It ends up being... Is it... Oh, here we go. Acquisition... Uh, no, I, no, that's not it. So the... It's 145 million, and how many how many units is it? It is um, $737,000 per unit, which is high, but remember, these are all two, three, and five bedrooms, and this is something that we examined um, at the time of the purchase and felt comfortable with. And it's 720, I, I see 725 a unit, right? Um, but they, it's different in terms of rooms. Is, the, is, it, is it all family? Is it 100% family? Okay, so that's good. And as Supervisor Ronan said, we're, there's a shortage of that. Even in today's, even in today's numbers, uh, over, you know, around a million dollars per unit for affordable housing, we're still significantly lower. I think it's a, a unique situation in terms of timing as well, the amount of time and energy and effort uh, that would take to get this done. In terms of the source, it says Prop C, majority of the city's matching, almost 100 million is coming from Prop C. How much money is left in the acquisition accounts for, for property acquisition under Prop C? <clears throat> Gigi Whitley through the chair. Um, supervisor, with this purchase that we closed on this installment earlier this fiscal year, that exhausted 
um, all of the prior year family housing acquisition money, um, there was an additional appropriation, and um, most of that is going to a MoCD project. We'll have to get you the background on the other fund balances if you're interested in how much we have remaining in each of the housing fund funding. But, but there, in, in, you know, in total, this has exhausted our. This, so this is this is specifically for family. This is the family Prop C housing right. allocation. Mm -hmm. Family Prop C, and then there's Tay single adult. There's a senior. general housing fund uh -huh. that can be used on any population, and then there's a specific under 30 allocation, which we refer to as the Tay acquisition. Mm -hmm. And so, how much is how much is left in the general? <laughs> I don't think there's any, any left, but I'd have to confirm all of the funds have either been spent or obligated with the purchases so far. There might be right. 700,000 or so and, left. And then how, how about in the other categories like Tay and others? Tay because, um, you know, essentially with the home key funds, um, we've gotten the state home key to provide all of the funding. So um, there's at least 93.7 million remaining. Um, because, you know, in part because we've been able to credit um, our acquisition costs to the grant instead of Prop C. Right. Um, and so we're in active um, conversations to fulfill our commitment that we talked about in the budget for additional TAE acquisition. Okay. And then the other category, are there any other categories? It's just general and TAE. So general and has family. a fund balance. Um, thank you. Um, Emily Cohen of, um, you know, like I said, a, a, a little under almost zero. Um, right. And then for families, it looks like we had a balance of about 8.6 million. Eight of that will be allocated to MoCD. I believe we've already completed the work order for a project um, that we're partnering with them on for pre-development. So essentially, the only category that we have money left for acquisition under Prop C is for Tay. Okay, so wanted to highlight that for our good supervisors that are here to be on the lookout. Um, any any addition? Are there any prospective sites that you all are investigating right now? Dan Adams, sorry to call you back up, but that was your whole purpose being come back to the city family there are uh, there are several that we are currently looking at and there are what there are several that we're currently looking at in active negotiations correct um so i i can't say any more than that but yes we are we are, are still are, looking can at i just ask this question for the record are there are they outside of the usual neighborhoods that you have been purchasing properties uh, that where the there's been a higher <laughs> concentration of purchases i they're each Intriguing opportunities. Some are in some of our more classic neighborhoods, uh, and others a bit farther out. But okay. they are they are all in active negotiations. I do, do want to add that the fund balance that um, Director Whitley was referring to in Tay, the the funds that we'll be using for our rehab, for instance, at the Eula and the Mission Inn, will draw on that fund balance. So it's there isn't on, that on the Tay. That's correct. Right. So for, for those properties, sense. just to just to be clear, it's not all there no. for acquisition. But, but yes, that, that that makes sense that there would be you have a take category. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but 
I don't know. I'm looking at Nick, and he's like, I don't know if I like that. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, create a new line item for rehab. Um, okay, thank you. I, I just want to say thank you to the team. I mean, I think, again, this was something that I was really pushing hard for. Um, really, really excited to see this dispersed throughout the city in different neighborhoods, including our, our own district. Uh, very happy to see a, another strong step forward for the acquisition rehab of existing properties in our city and, and then in neighborhoods that have been traditionally underserved or have not participated necessarily in helping the unhoused. And so if there are other opportunities, we're happy to work with you on that. But I think this is a big step forward in the city doing something to, so really appreciate everyone's hard work. All right. Um, we have already had public comment for this item, if I remember correctly. So I'd like to make a motion to send this item forward with positive recommendation. On that motion, <clears throat> pardon, on that motion to forward the resolution to the full board with positive recommendation, Vice Chair Safai, Safai, aye, Member Chan, Chan, aye, Chair Ronan. Aye. Ronan, aye. We have three ayes. Motion passes unanimously. Thanks, team. <laughs> Bye. Mr. Clerk, can you please read item number 10? Yes, item number 10 is an ordinance waiving the fee required under the Public Works Code for temporary street space occupancy permits on San Francisco streets on November 25th. Uh, yeah, November 25th through 27, December 2nd through 4th, and December 9th through 11th, 2022, to promote sidewalk sales of merchandise during the holiday season and affirming the planning department's determination under the California Environmental Quality Act. Members of the public who are joining us remotely and wish to comment, please call 415-655-0001 with a meeting ID of 2488-477-5074, then press pound twice. Once connected, press star three to enter the speaker line. A system prompt will indicate that you've raised your hand, and when the system indicates you have been unmuted, that will be a signal to begin your comments. Madam Chair. Thank you so much, and I believe Dominica Donovan is here from Supervisor Stephanie's office. Hello. Good afternoon, Chair Ronan and Vice Chair Safai and Member Chair Chan, Domenica Donovan, Legislative Aide to Supervisor Catherine Stephanie. The item before you is an ordinance sponsored by Supervisor Stephanie, which would retroactively waive sidewalk sale fees normally collected by the Department of Public Works for small businesses over three we weekends of the holiday season. The genesis of this proposal is to help promote shopping local and shopping small throughout the holiday season. This is the second year that Supervisor Stephanie has led on this. In prior years, the Board of Supervisors has authorized sidewalk sale fee waivers to help support Small Business Week. In order to help promote this, we've shared um, this ordinance with the Office of Small Business, OEWD, and the Council of District Merchants. Um, and just by way of background, the weekends were selected um, mirroring what was, what was passed last year. Um, Supervisor Stephanie would like to thank Supervisor Chan for her co-sponsorship, and if you have any questions, please let me know. Thank, thank you, you so much. Uh, Supervisor Chan. Thank you, Chair Ronan. I, I want to thank Supervisor Stephanie for her leadership and, of course, her office. Thank you so much for all your work on this. It, uh, for the Richmond, we're grateful for uh, your leadership, specifically on behalf of the small business uh, located on Clement Streets and Papua Streets. And truly that with the neighborhood commercial corridors, while that they have been um, resilient during pandemic, um, being able to uh, through this fee waiver to be able to have more activities um, 
it's really tremendously helpful um, to boost food traffic and activities and uh, sales, of course, of their businesses. Um, and this will definitely be uh, helpful for activities like Clementine on Clement Streets, which is known. We have like fake snows, we have music, we have like hot chocolate giving out to kids. And last year we even have um, a Christmas carol uh, on a cable car roaming up and down the Clement Streets. With all that, um, it's we're, we're grateful um, to be able to, to have the support and with this fee waiver. So thank you and proud to be a co-sponsor. Thank you so much. Can we please open this item up for public comment? Yes, Madam Chair. Members of the public who wish to speak on this item and are joining us in person should speak now. For those listening remotely, please call 415-655-0001. The meeting ID is 248-847-75074. Then press pound twice. Once connected, press star three to enter the speaker line. For those already in the queue, please continue to wait until the system indicates you have been muted. And that will be your signal to begin your comments. Seeing no speakers here in the chamber, and Madam Chair, we have no speakers in the queue. Public comment is now closed. Um, I would love to be added as a co-sponsor as well. Thank you. Uh, and, and Supervisor uh, Safai, you would like to be added as well? And with that, if we could, I could make a motion to send this item to the full board with positive recommendation. Can you please take a roll call vote? On that motion to forward this ordinance to the full board with positive recommendation, Vice Chair Safai. Safai, I member Chan. Chan, I. Chair Ronan. Aye. Ron and I, we have three eyes. That motion passes unanimously. Mr. Clerk, do we have any other items today? Uh, Madam Chair, that concludes your business. The meeting is adjourned. <laughs>